We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. fans how you doing it's your boy not jonathan macri but once again your boy andrew claudio here with another episode of the Knicks film school podcast oh boy do we have a fun episode for you for those of you that have enjoyed the last month and a half when jeremy has done everything to remind us that he is so much smarter than all of us well we got the NBA version of Jeremy to come on the pod to talk to Jeremy for a little over an hour. Keith Smith of Spot Track of Celtics blog. I'm sure a bunch of other publications that I'm missing. Uh, he is brilliant when it comes to the cap has multiple fan bases reaching out to him for podcasts. And he's able to at the, click of a mouse and probably just like on the back of his hand, know their cap situation and be able to figure out who's got the room exception, who's got mid-level, how much cap space you have. Um, and confirmation more than anything else is I sat there and listened to this conversation that Jeremy is as smart as we allege he is. Uh, there's actually a point in the pod where Keith says to Jeremy, I'm appears or i think that you know all of the answers to the questions you're asking me because that's our boy that's our that's our jeremy and i think you guys are really gonna enjoy this conversation they talk about the knicks they talk about the celtics obviously there's some very complimentary things said about rj barrett that you don't normally get on this podcast potentially uh love you john um speaking of john tomorrow we have a bit of a programming note and an announcement uh tomorrow when we normally do our Saturday morning Spotify green rooms. He'll be here. Uh, this is going to be our last one for a little bit. I think we've hinted at this for a while. Um, we're going to take a break for at least for the month of September. Around training camp, we're going to figure out a change to this, whether it be a different day of the week, whether it be exploring different platforms. I don't think it's a secret uh, to anybody that we've had some technical, technical issues and some uh, very... Minor 
turned major frustrations with the app and you know twitter spaces is something we'd like to explore uh, a different time of day a different day of the week whether it be a lunchtime or a pre-game or post-game type of thing we still want to use a form of interaction with all of you it's just not going to be regularly scheduled on saturday morning going forward that is that is the deal uh, so but tomorrow we are going to do at least one more big one starting at 9 a.m eastern standard time so join us come up on stage uh yell at john hopefully in a civil manner um you can talk to me if you'd like to i've got takes if you want to hear them if you just want to yell we'll give you the stage one last time so you can come up here uh but that'll be tomorrow at 9 a.m on spotify green room uh for one final time before we take a little break for the rest of september okay the episode you're about to hear i mean it you guys are gonna love Jeremy and Keith and the nerd off that you're about to hear. And I mean nerd in a term of endearment. Nerds are cool. We, I, My most anticipated movie over the next couple months are two superhero movies. So I, I envy nerds and strive to be one one day. Uh, all that being said, let's get to it. Jeremy's conversation with the one and only Keith Smith. Joining us on the Nick's Film School podcast uh, is a special guest. Um, he doesn't need any introduction, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, the Cap Wizard, or, you know, fantastic content, the master of Spotrack, um, Keith Smith. Keith, how are you? I'm doing well. It's funny. So I just did another podcast and I called him out for, in a good way, I said, you called me a Cap nerd, which is absolutely fine because that's what I am. Uh, and then you went with Cap Wizard, but that that's fine. I'll take that too. I'll take that. You know, that's a, that's a good one too. So, you know, we'll, we'll we'll take it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think getting called nerd is an affectionate thing. People I call me so nerd now. all the time. Yeah. And yep. when it's basketball, it's it's even more fun. That's so it. we'll take um, it. And we exactly. all watch comic book movies now too, right? They used to be for nerds, and yep. now now we all love them. So yeah, exactly. And I'd be lying nerds if I didn't here. say I wasn't super excited about the new Spider Man movie uh, and the trailer. So. Look, if you want to do all show on that, I'm, I'm ready to go, but it's probably not, not what we're here for, right? Maybe later, but but yes, we, this the main course, I guess, will be uh, the NBA. And, um, you know, I mean, this, this certainly is a Knicks podcast, but would love to also get general thoughts as well. But let, let's start with the Knicks. So sure. um, Knicks had a very busy offseason, certainly. Um, a lot of different moves, retaining several players, signing Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, Um how would you grade the Knicks offseason, um, you know, partially, of course, from the talent, but also looking at it as more of a, uh, a cap savant? Yeah, I think so. Looking at it both short and long term, this coming season compared to what they finished with last season, they're a better team. I don't know anybody who could tell you that they're not. Uh, I think Evan Fournier is a better player than Reggie Bullock, even though Reggie Bullock played well for the Knicks and uh, not trying to be insulting, but Kemba Walker, even if he can only play in 45 or 50 games is better than whatever mess they rolled out there. But that wasn't <laughs> Derek Rose last year. So that is massive upgrades with, with those two, two guys. I think Fournier, just his all-around game is enough better than Bullock's that that it's good, that that's a big piece. And I don't think the there's there's going to be a slight downgrade there for from Bullock to Fournier defensively. Not a huge one, but slight. But the upgrade offensively is so big because it was glaring. And my worry for them from about, I was going to say March, but I get I to kind of re, 
<laughs> think of when we had about a month left in the season. So I was what, like the beginning of April mm-hmm. last year uh, with about a month to go in the regular season. I started to worry about them in the playoffs because you could just see it's going to be a lot of Julius Randle. And if a team can load up, it's going to be really hard for them to, to manufacture offense. I think RJ Barrett is, I really like RJ Barrett. I know some people are still not fully there on him, but I really like him. And I think he is, he just wasn't ready for that yet to, to kind of be that guy. And now having Fournier in there can do it. Rose who can do it for a full year. And then of course, Kemba, uh, whatever you get out of him is, is good. And, and I expect they're going to, do a lot of what the Celtics did. He probably won't play a lot of back-to-back. So probably, I know Tibbs, you know, shouted out from the back of the press conference, you know, oh yeah, you know, you're playing both ends. And I think uh, the front office and Tibbs collectively are smart enough to say, no, he's not, (laughs) Um, you know, or, or at least on those uh, third and four nights, he's not playing that third one. It's, you know, get him out of there, get him out of the middle one or whatever. But I do think you're going to see, that be a huge upgrade. And then what may end up ultimately happening is because I think a lot of teams in the East got better. They may not be the fourth seed again, but by the time we the playoffs roll around, they may actually be a better team, mm-hmm. um, but with a lower seed. And I, and I know that's hard to maybe to reconcile um, when I just said they made upgrades, but, but that's just where it is. And then long-term, Everything they did, they protected themselves. They, they've got team options and non-guarantees and all this other stuff um, that they did a great job of making sure, yeah, if these don't work in a year or two, we're out of them, we're out of them easy, and not off we go and we kind of reset again and and, and go with this. And I and it, that's huge because that's, that's, that's the best and most smart way to do business. And then their incentives that they tied into contracts, some of them sound like they're going to be uh, uh, team success based. And if it's based on team success, well, then you're happy to pay those out because we were good. So like everybody always says, you know, yeah, but if the Celtics make the finals, Al Horford's contract gets guaranteed for this. Or if they win the finals, it gets fully guaranteed. And I was like, and who cares? You won the finals. No one cares about that. Fully guarantee the contract and move on. You, you you have a title or you were there playing for it. So it's just sometimes I think we, the NBA is so weird. And I say this as someone who lives sometimes two, three years out. We focus too much on two, three years out and not enough on what's happening right in front of us. And it, let's cut that because I don't want anybody to stop reading my stuff when I focus that far up. But no, I'm, I'm only teasing. But yeah, it's I think the Knicks did quite well short and long term uh, this offseason. Oh, I'm glad you think that way. I think as a Knicks fan, it's very easy to kind of convince yourself as such. But I, I'm trying to separate, you know, the logic and, and the emotion. And I feel <laughs> like it's it actually was a very good offseason. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite component from the Knicks side? Um, and more, let me pull up the cap sheet because that's that tends to be where I'll focus. I really thought the well, my favorite one is getting Kemba for you know so little money, uh, just because it's it's so little money because it, you know they think he is uh good now. That's hard to give the Knicks a whole lot of credit for because. Oklahoma City paying him a lot of money is why they got him for so little money. But but we'll we'll do that one a little bit. And then I think the Norman's Noel deal is incredible value. Um, he got less than MLE money uh for a guy who had become the Knicks starting five, uh, turned it maybe, well, not maybe, definitely his best uh defensive season in the league. I think you need now with Walker and Fournier and Randall and Barrett and 
Burks and uh, Rose and some of the other guys. You need a guy who doesn't need the ball at all. Um, I, I know people are going to, he, he can't space the floor, but sometimes we go too far with those things where not, not every, you don't have to always put a lineup out there where all five guys can shoot. And because Randall has become a really consistent, good shooter, you have four guys who can space the floor and stand out at the arc, leave them in the dunker spot, let them hang out around the rim and clean things up and do his thing. So that's probably my favorite contract that they signed just because I think it was, um, I think it's incredible value. I also get a kick out of that one because everybody so overreacted to it in the moment. And then when it came out, he's got all these bonuses attached and all these other things. So it's really only this number that that's also always a little bit of fun too. Well, I'm admittedly guilty of it just in the sense of, you know, we did a live stream uh, for free agency and you see New Orleans well, three years and $32 million. And your first thought is like, okay, this, this feels like a, big overpay in some degree, especially if he's going to be back at Mitchell Robinson. And then you find, okay, well, the third year is non-guaranteed and their unlikely bonus is tied in. And before you know it, it's actually a very competitive contract. And if he's, if, you know, something happens where he's starting for whatever reason, then you've locked a guy who's a starter up for really cheap, uh, you know, a very cheap contract. So I think it it worked out in the end. I will say too, knowing Tibbs kind of the way we do now, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still starting. He's a guy who doesn't, if it's not broke, I'm why I don't have to fix it. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts and then Robinson eventually has to kind of win that rollback. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's funny because, uh, is, you know, one of the teams I cover uh, in depth is the Celtics. And I see Robinson and Robert Williams as similar ish kind of guys where every time it looks like we're going to increase their minutes and they're going to take a step forward, they get hurt. And then it's like, here we go again. They're on the bench. Um, so I almost wonder if Robinson's one of those guys where you're better served with him playing 20 minutes a night off your bench where he can really just go, just be do your thing, you know, high energy, play at the rim on both ends, do all your stuff there versus trying to say, are right, we're going to ramp this guy up to be a 30 minute a night center? Because I just wonder if, can he actually handle it? Because we're, we're a couple years now in a row of when it looked like he was ready to take off, it just bottom fell out on it with injury-wise. And maybe maybe that's he's just going to get past it. That does happen sometimes. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Noel is still starting. I just Coaches are creatures of habit, too, where if it's if they find a comfort level, they, they don't move off that very, very easily. Well, Keith, I don't. Did you get access to my notes before this? Because no, is that where we're going? We're going there. (laughs) I want to take a a step back before we do, but um, but we'll we'll go in that direction for sure. I actually want to turn it around and uh, and talk about your Celtics just a little bit. Um, You know, because I mean, there's been a lot for the Celtics to have done. Saw some players leave, some players uh, arrive. What are your overall thoughts with the team? Do you feel that they are a, a better team as constructed than they were? Uh, compared to the end of the season? Do you feel there are downgrades? Where, where are you at? Yeah, they have some downgrades for sure. Uh, Fournier is a better player than Richardson, but that is a long-term play there. Um, for all that, I don't think Fournier's contract is bad for the Knicks. And I'm not saying this by any means of like, Ee, Fournier stinks and you overpaid him. I'm, that's not where I'm going. The Knicks could afford to give him that because they weren't dealing with tax issues and everything else that Boston would have been. So I think for Fournier's deal with the Knicks, fine, good money. 
but it would have been a step too far for Boston. So I think they did pretty good asset arbitrage by getting in Richardson for the remainder of the TPE to kind of be the Fournier replacement. I think Schroeder is a great replacement for Kemba for what Kemba was last year for the Celtics, which was a show up every other night kind of player and you know, be, be what he is. Now, if Kemba can be Kemba, he's clearly miles ahead of Dennis Schroeder. But even with that, you're talking Kemba on the Celtics for 30 plus million versus Schroeder on the Celtics for 6 million. So I think they did a really good job in a very difficult situation of resetting without taking major steps backwards. And I think much like the Knicks, but in a slightly different way, I think the Celtics are going to be a far better team than they were a year ago, which was a 500 team that finished, uh, what was it, seventh in the conference. I think they are going to be a team, now that we're back to our traditional 82-game schedule, I think they're going to be a team that wins probably right around 48 games and is in the mix for home court, partially based on they just cannot be as unhealthy as they were last year. They missed more games due to COVID than anybody else in the league. Uh, then you had the Kemba situation. You had that. And what, what they have this year now is they have actually about nine, 10 actual NBA players versus five and a half, six NBA players and making the best of it with a bunch of kids and guys who are, I mean, look at their roster guys who played major minutes for this team from the trade deadline on some of them aren't even in the league anymore. And that's, you know, that's a huge issue. So I do think they're, they're a better team, but I think whereas the Knicks could be better, but everybody got better in the East, it feels like. So they might slide a little bit in the standings. I think the Celtics will move up in the standings just because I just think they're, they're going to be better and their better players will be there more often. And I think that's that, you know, I always say availability, it's the best ability and it, it remains, you know, extremely underrated, um, you know, in, in the NBA. So it's, it's just one of those things sometimes having your best guys there push you up the ladder, you know, more than anything else can. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I, you know, you obviously see far more Celtics fans in your mentions than I do <laughs> when I go on Twitter. Um, it seemed like there was, um, I don't want to say a heel turn because that's not the right way of phrasing it, but it seemed like the collective thought from what I saw was the beginning of the year was the Celtics are going to save room and, and have cap space and try to go after Beal. And yep. then that kind of closed itself with the smart extension and the Williams extension and the Richardson deal. Um, but, you know, I, I would be remiss to not talk about Bradley Beal to an extent because right now it feels like the, if Beal decides to move on, if the Wizards honor that, whatever it might be, that the Celtics are kind of doing what the Knicks are doing, which is creating a situation where they have matching salary for a sign and trade, maybe a, a trade and even the deadline, if that's what it comes to. And yep. um, if the two are jockeying for position, you know, of course, if one trades for him at the deadline and then if he wants to go to the other team uh, in the summer, it's, well, now you have to deal with us because we hold <laughs> it's his messy, yeah. Um, yep. but, but is that kind of your thinking for where the Celtics are trying to transition more in the future, or is it just kind of a different path than that? Yeah, I think these are two front offices that read the immediate and the long-term very well, and not necessarily the long-term four years, but long-term 2022 off-season, a year from now, where it's a pretty poor free agent class. Uh, why? Right, because 
there had been this prevailing notion out there that the Knicks would do one of two things. They'd either go crazy this offseason spending money and go chasing stars and all these other things. And if they came up short, then they would spend, uh, they would just kind of roll it over again, a bunch of one-year contracts. And I think they very clearly looked at it and said, there's nobody next summer that's worth spending a bunch of money on. And that's the, whether it's the extensions that happened or whatever they are, did that the this year's free agent class and next year's free agent class just fell off the map. But what both teams did was where you're going to make, make your headway is via trade, whether it's traditional trade or sign and trade, but in, you can't be in position to do that without the salaries to match that, that is, that becomes kind of the single biggest thing people miss on is you have to be able to either absorb straight by cap space. It's pretty rare. Now the Knicks were in that position this off season, Boston would not have been there to absorb a salary straight out, just like you could if you traded for the guy or um, signed the guy direct. Those are pretty rare. But what you you can almost always do is, if you do it the right way, put yourself in position to get there via trade. And now what they've both done is one, two, three players in a deal. It's there. They both have all their their, their own picks. Moving forward, the Knicks, I know, have a couple extras kind of coming their way. At the, or is it just one more? It might only be the Dallas one, right? But they've got an extra. And the Hornets one as well. Hornets one. Yeah, that's the one I was forgetting. Um, So, yeah. So, you've got a couple extra picks that you can throw in along with, you know, that. And and that's where you can start making those offers, whether it be, you know, Beal or Lillard or Towns or Superstar X, whoever it is that uh, by the the holidays this year is unhappy where he is because we know it's going to happen. It's the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be somebody who right now looks like he's thrilled to be where he is forever. And he's not going to be um, in a few months. So I think I always go back to Daryl Morey when he worked for Boston, when he made the James Harden trade, he said, what I learned from Danny Ainge was when it, when you have your chance to go get a star, you have to have the things to be able to go get that star. And that's what I think, uh, Brad Stevens clearly learned from Ainge. And I think the Knicks front office comes in with, uh, led by Leon Rose, comes in with a lot of the, uh, he knows how it works on his side, on the agent side. And then Brock Aller and the, his group on the front office side are you know one of the smartest cap groups in round. So they know we just got to be in position to, if Damian Lillard says, I want to go and I want to go to New York, the worst thing you could have done was, uh, like the old Knicks would have been, let's trade for John Wall because that'll be cool. <laughs> and then you're sitting on John Wall's contract, and it's like, oh crap! You know, now what do we do? Because the the Blazers don't want that. <laughs> they don't want <laughs> you know we're going to have to give you extra picks and other stuff just to you know sell you on Wall and go get Lillard. Now they're in a position where, hey, we can trade you three, four interesting guys, like maybe kind of keep you competitive, and we'll make up the difference in a million draft picks and everything else that we can going forward. So, yeah, I think both teams took similar approaches to, yeah, let's lock it up for the next couple of years, but let's lock it up on reasonable, good, smart contracts versus, uh, yeah, let's throw, you know, 20 million a year at uh, Derek Rose just because, and, and that's where, you know, I, I don't mean to take you guys back to the dark ages, but it feels like that would have been what the old Knicks would have done. It's mm-hmm. like Derek Rose was really good for us. Let's you know make sure we pay him. And and I always say too, it's not up to the player to be like, ah, you know, guys, that's too much money. <laughs> you know, that's you know, take take that. If my my boss comes to me tomorrow and says, hey, I want to pay you, you know, a thousand dollars a day. Yep, 
I, yep. Yes. <laughs> I take it. You know, off we go, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's where, uh, that, that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know why people yell at players all the time on the flip side too. I don't know why anybody yells at a guy when they take a little less money to go join a team and win. Cause that's what we all scream and yell about. They should do this, you know, and, and then they do it. And then we're like stupid, super teams ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, it's funny though, that you say that because I keep thinking like if Derek Rose were resigned in what universe is a previous front office being like, Oh, let's look at what we can offer him with the early bird and let's stop right there because then we can squeeze in this extra yep. amount of cap. So instead it would just be like, let's give Derek Rose $15 million. Yep. It's like, well, well, what happens to the remaining cap space we would have had? Uh, you know, eh, we had yep. to pay Derek Rose. And so I'm, I'm glad so, so smart too, because then what happens is, then does that cost you Alec Burks? Does that cost you uh, Nerlens Noel? Um, you know, and, and it's funny because I also said too, initially I was like, all right, Taj Gibson coming back on the minimum when that was the initial reporting. I was like, well, that was one of the biggest locks of the offseason. We all knew that was going to happen. Then when it was, wait a minute, Gibson got the the equivalent of where I guess he actually did in the end get the room exception. Mm-hmm. Um that turned into that feels like a lot for Taj Gibson. And I was like, yeah, but now what you did was, Hey Taj, remember when we gave you almost $5 million? Don't feel bad when we turn around and trade you mid season, because at $5 million, you're a much better salary matching piece than you would have been at, you know, the thing. And I think Taj Gibson's been around the NBA long enough to say, thank you for my $5 million. Well, maybe, you know, we'll see you down the line somewhere um, there. So that's a, that is, again, I wish more teams would do that, especially when the luxury tax isn't a thing. Like it's not for the Knicks right now. Yeah. Give the guys more money because, now you've made them into a pretty good trade piece and it's hard for them to be real cranky if it's, yeah, we did trade you, you know, and, you know, well, what is it? And the smart thing about that one, just to get into the cap nerd stuff was they didn't do a team option on the second year. They did a non-guarantee because if they did on a team option, he would have the right to block any trade mm-hmm. and say, you know, I don't want to go to Sacramento. That's not where I want to finish out my career. If that was the trade that was out there, I don't want to go to Oklahoma city in a you know, salary clearing trade or whatever. Um, by doing it as a non-guarantee, he doesn't have that power that he's not a pending free agent at the end of the year. So they can trade him wherever, whenever they want. And that's, that, that's important. And I think those are the smart, small things that, if you know, you know, um, most people are going to look at them all, non-guarantee, team option, they're the same thing. Functionally, yeah, they amount to the same thing in the end, next next offseason, sure. But this year, they're they're not. And the difference is substantial and meaningful, and it was smart by the Knicks to do it the way they did it. And now, um, so I was going to ask you about Taj a little bit later, but since we're on the subject, I'll, I'll quickly do it. I, seriously, I think Sorry, you I skipped have access. down your notes page, apparently. I know. You just <laughs> scroll down to page two. Um, so with Taj, with the non-guaranteed salary, of course, let's say it's draft night 2022. Mm-hmm. The Knicks would have to guarantee Taj's contract in order to they deal would, him, yeah. correct? At, okay. that, at that point, they would. They, this is using him as a trade match kind of ends by the time you get to the trade deadline. Once we're past that, now it's now we transition into what is the guaranteed money into the next year. And if, if it's zero, then he counts as zero. And that's, you know, he's not a, 
not to be insulting to Taj Gibson, but he's not a basketball asset enough anymore that anybody's trading for him in that sense. It's it's no one's it would be, yeah, I guarantee it. But that could even be one too, where if it's the right team or if there's an Oklahoma City floating around out there, hey, we need to guarantee his 5.5 million. Can we spin him off here? And that's a small enough number, you know. 90 teams or 90 there's only 30 in the league 29 teams will be able to say yeah we can eat that and move on and not not a big deal now this is a very pro uh taj podcast and i, I do have to admit our fans are very pro taj um <laughs> i like him no, he's great get me but, wrong yeah in the sense of because i know this is going to be asked as well let's say the knicks traded taj gibson mid-season end of the season for the sake of those fans to answer this question can the Knicks then re-sign Taj in the offseason if it's bought out or if he's non-guaranteed? No. Thank so you. that's the that's the, the the downside to it. If he was a free agent and his uh contract was uh it was a true team option that was not picked up, yes, because his contract is expired and off he goes in this, but yes, yeah, so if he's waived, you've got that one year year restriction and they would not be able to bring him back. Exactly. So uh, yeah. speaking of Nick's big man, I'd love to take the opportunity to talk about Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to throw some things at you and would love if you can kindly give the answer. So uh, the most money that Mitchell Robinson is eligible to receive for the next year of his contract starting in 2022-23 is four years and $51 million? If he did it as an extension? Mm-hmm. Yes. Really, like right now, if they did that, yeah, it's it's the it might be a little bit more than that. I'd have to do the actual math, but it's basically I call it the Dinwiddie because that's what Spencer Dinwiddie did. Um, but yeah, it's 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 in that range there. It's, it's, it's the yeah. average salary, right? From the yeah, previous it's, season. It's a, it's a percentage off this the projected average salary for that season. So it gets a little wonky with that, but it's basically that projected salary will be just north of $10 million. And then I want to say it's a, I would have to look, cause I always have to look at the extension stuff. Um, it's, it's a slight bump over that then with the raises on top of that. So yeah, but you're, you're in the range. It's, it's not, you you know, what's a few million between friends if that's what it works out to be. Um, <laughs> so money anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, 
Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before I ask the next question, could you kindly give uh, our listeners a little clarity on the difference between likely and unlikely bonuses in relation to in relation to the salary cap. Yeah. So what happened? So if we use Narlands and Oil as the example, um, his initial deal looked like it was going to be about ten million dollars for this year. Um, he has. Well, I'm going to actually pull it up. So I'm speaking from a from an educated place. Um, he has what are currently termed as unlikely bonuses in his contract. And what those unlikely bonuses do is they, they don't count against the cap unless they turn likely. Now, what makes a bonus likely versus unlikely is quite honestly, the most simple thing in the world. It is, did it happen last year or did it not? And if it happened last year, then it's likely. If it didn't, then it's unlikely. Um, I have not seen yet exactly what his bonuses are tied to. Um, I would have to um, go digging for for that. I don't generally dive into the bonuses um, till a little bit later. Uh, but he he has about four million total in in bonus money in his contract. So call it let's call it a million ish a year um, there. So what happens with that is um, that's what lowers him from 10 million to 8.8 or whatever he's actually at this coming season. All right. And if the In, Knicks, oh, oh good. No, if the Knicks get hard capped, then that certainly. Yes. If they the get hard capped, which they are, but it doesn't they matter. Are, yeah. But they're so far under. I mean, right. there's almost no way they could even come into play, but let's use the Lakers last year as an example. Um, when, when a team is hard capped, um, you can't exceed the hard cap by even a dollar, but because those bonuses could come into play, they count against the hard cap number. So Noel, in this case, 8.8 million counts against that hard cap number at about 10 million. So if you're ever looking, and we'll have these updated on spot track soonish. Um, if you're ever looking, they're less under the hard cap. Then it maybe looks like because a guy like Noel counts for the 10 million or so against the hard cap, because what happens there is you have to account for everything. So let's just say, and I'm just making this up, but let's say he has a bonus tied to winning MVP and uh, winning the NBA finals. That's what gets him his million dollar in bonuses. Um, you can't be at a point if you're playing around with the hard cap where after the fact that happens, now you go over the hard cap. So they close the loophole by a count there. They just don't count on the cap itself. So that's, it gets a little, you know, nerdy there with that stuff, but that's, that's what I do. So I love that stuff. Um, but that, that's, that's kind of the difference between that. And then let's just, let's, let's be more realistic. So let's say his, uh, he has to average two blocks per game. 
let's just say that's one of his bonuses. If he does that this next season, then that becomes likely. And let's just say that bonus is for 500,000 that each subsequent year would go up by 500,000 uh, in his contract. Cause that's what, what now he's now that bonus becomes likely it is. It, it seems like it's way more complicated than it is, but truly it is. Did it happen last year or not? There are, they're more like, they're more traditional on, um, Early contracts were players who have had issues with these things, but there are sometimes bonuses tied to weight and conditioning and those kind of things. But those bonuses are always treated as likely um, if they're tied to that. So, um, and then if they don't earn them, that happens. Now, if a player has likely bonuses in his deal and he doesn't get them, you don't get cap relief until the next year because the number doesn't change. Um, that's the other thing. It does, it's it's not like we get to, uh, you know, game 80 and we're like, all right, this isn't going to happen. So, you know, knock that million off the books. It doesn't work that way. It happens in the next off season. So just a little further education there. Cause that, that comes up every year, you know, later is like, why are we at this number still? You know, he didn't do that. And it's like, yes, you're right. He didn't, but it doesn't change until we, the calendar year flips over league exactly. calendar, not the actual calendar. Right. Um, well, that was a, a perfect example. And the reason I ask is then to tie it back to Mitchell Robinson. So let, let's just say it's the four years, 51 million or somewhere around there. If the Knicks were to offer Robinson that full amount, could they also offer him unlikely bonuses or are they capped at what they can offer him uh, this offseason? Of course, not not next year when he's an unrestricted free agent, but sure. um, are they allowed to sneak in the unlikely bonuses or... That that max number is the max number. Yeah, stop. they can put him in, but they they what they would be doing would be lowering his base because he can't exceed that number. Um, so he's going to be maxed out to whatever his number is if they do it as an extension today. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were to do it like that, if if they were to to as you said, if you let it go into the off season, well then it's you pay him whatever you want up to his max because you have his bird rights and off you go. But yeah, in an extension that they would have to, they they could do it, but they could only do it. Um, but let's just say it's $11 million in that first year salary. It would be, you could do it as 10 million locked in with 1 million in unlikely bonuses, but it's still $11 million um, would be what goes in there. Um, or you could do it in likely bonuses as well and do it that way. But you can't, you can't use that to bump them past on um, what their number is, just because it's always whatever the match you can offer a player is, except in very certain circumstances, is always the match you can offer a player. Right. And to clarify, uh, for those who might be confused, the reason why uh, the difference, I guess, between Robert Williams and Mitchell Robinson is Williams was drafted in the first round, Correct. Robinson in the second. So uh, Robinson has a max for right now. Um, Williams just agreed on a compromise. Hypothetically, he could have gotten the 25% yep. max if he wanted yep. to. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy was like my go-to now on him explaining that will be Luca. Luca is already qualified for the, uh, the designated rookie extension. So he's going to get his 30% because he's already earned that. Um, he's already hit the qualifiers by being all NBA two years in a row. So it almost like Luca could not play this year and he's still going to get 30% of the cap. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen because we would all lose as basketball fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, because of the way the first round rounders work coming off of their rookie scale deals, you can enter into that contract extension for any number up to their max, um, essentially a year in advance. So Mitchell Robinson, 
is he, um, I guess, does he have to face the same deadline as first rounders in terms of signing the extension or mid season? Could he say like, you know what? I'm playing well, but there's some risk here and I want to take the, uh, the offer the Knicks give me if they were to do that. I think you might know the answers to these questions. I, I, this you're, one, you're some of oh, them I really? do, but this okay. one I actually, I, ah, my hunch is that I'll they can't it. do it, but I feel ah, that so you maybe could. Your hunch is off. He does not face the same deadline. Um, so rookie scale guys are um, by the, I wanted to say the 31st, but I think it's opening night for extensions. Um, it's team options they have until the 31st to pick up on the rookie scale team options. Because those have to, like RJ Barrett, um, his team option for the 2022-23 season actually has to be picked up by October 31st of this year. They're roughly a year out is what I always say. Uh, extensions, I think, are by opening night. I think is when you have to lock in on an extension. But in a Robert Williams case, because it's not a rookie scale extension, they could they can take that all the way down to it might be the last day of the season or it might be March 1st. I would have to look at that. I know it's in the CBA FAQ. It's in the CBA buried in there somewhere if you really want to read that uh, document and put yourself to sleep unless you're a lawyer. Uh, but at least in the FAQ, you, you can pull it and, and look. But yeah, there is, an, there is a deadline on the extensions, um, but it is... Uh, it, his is later because of his circumstance. So it's kind of give and take, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Of it wasn't great for you that you can't get as much money, but we give you longer to get what you can't get. Right. And of course, there's the risk of still he could walk at the end of the year. Which, oh, 100%. Right. Yep. Um, so, and I'm glad you clarified because again, I, I gave the wrong information on this year podcast. So, uh, mea culpa to those listening. And thank you, Keith, for clarifying. Um, in terms of Mitch, I'm, I'm going to rank three scenarios and I'd love for you to rank them in preference for, for how you think Mitch, I guess, should be um, valued if you're the Knicks. Um, so Mitch on... Jeremy, can I yes. interrupt real Please quick do. just because I looked it up. It's actually all the way until the 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 uh, end of the, the calendar year, which next year will be June 30th, um, like normal. So, so then so the Knicks could yep. extend him before... Yep. Interesting. All the way out. Yep. Wow. So. Even even at a time where for no free agents, when they would be able to yep. sign, he is extension eligible. Yep. Which, which that actually, I should have known that because it does happen on occasion where, where you'll see something like that. But mm -hmm. yeah, now at that point, I, pra practicality, I don't think it would happen right. um, because I think at that point he would look, it's just all be grown ups and be real players have a pretty good idea what might be waiting for them uh, in free agency there. So I, uh, yeah, they're, they're not going to, um, uh, you know, let, let it go all the way out there, but yeah, I'm just double checking that to make sure, but yeah, that and is, it, um, yeah. And it would still be the same amount of years and the same amount of correct. Yep. Yeah. Nothing changes until he's actually a free agent. Great. Um, so if we're to rank Mitch in terms of as an asset, where do you think he's most valuable? Is it, um, at least to the Knicks, is it on his expiring contract um, on his own, on his expiring contract as part of maybe a larger package or on a long-term contract? Yeah, his free agency was fascinating in a lot of ways because I thought that there was a chance that they were going to decline their team option on him and make him a restricted free agent with the idea of then we they would resign him to whatever both sides agreed is a fair value. My guess is that probably would have been the path 
had they been able to know, or we're going to do a three-year, $45 million deal or something in that range. My guess is Mitchell Robinson and his reps were, were are higher on him than maybe the Knicks contract offer was uh, necessarily. It might have been where the Knicks offer was, hey, we're, we're willing to do 10 million a year or 12 million a year. And they might've been saying, Hey, this guy could be a 20 million a year, big man. Like what Jared Allen just got. Why, why can't Mitch be as good as him? Um, That's where I think it becomes, all right, then we're not going to agree and we can make restricted free agency a mess and we can just sign the qualifying offer. And that becomes a whole nonsense and everything else. And it just becomes a mess for everybody. Um, the, The example I use there is Duncan Robinson in the heat. The Heat knew what they had in Duncan Robinson, and it was very easy to say, here's what a 19 million average a year, whatever it was, 18 million, whatever he got. Um, so we're done and off we go. We move on, and everybody's happy. Mitchell Robinson, my guess is the Knicks would, would love to have him if it was team friendly and they were protected on the end. Uh, Mitchell Robinson's probably looking at and saying, hey, when I was healthy last year, I was pretty good. And, you know, I, I think I can be. Uh, starting center and a top half starting center and those kind of things that's 15 million a year money and that's probably where the difference is so you would rather have them locked up but i think if you're the knicks you're happy to say all right we're gonna let this play out a little bit i think that's part of what entered in with the noel contract somewhat was we're still protected now we've still got somebody um and i think if you're the knicks you're looking at and saying we're not going to 15 to 20 million a year right now. Yeah. If you come out and dominate, we can still pay you more than anybody else. Cause we've got your bird rights and we can do all this stuff in the off season, but let's just see where it goes from here because then we can lock in we can do our thing. If you are great, if you're an all-star or pushing all-star status or whatever, we can get there. But I think it makes sense from the Knicks standpoint of, we're not locking into that today because that starts to change your long-term cap math a little bit more than where you want to go to. And from Robinson's side, I get it. Why, you know, you can bet on yourself and believe you can stay healthy, do it, bet on yourself and, and go. I just, they, he's, it, he's, there's too much Robert Williams in there for me to feel great about taking that approach. And that's where I think, yeah, maybe meeting in the middle wouldn't have been bad. And, and as a guy who's a second round pick who's never made more than the 1.8 million in a season he's going to make now, that's life changing money. And if it doesn't go well, let's say it goes really poorly. I mean, he's only going to have a conversation with his teammate and say, Hey, Nerland, what happened with you, man? Like, what, what was that? And I, now what I will say too is I bet the, uh, unless he's an absolute disaster and isn't healthy or he looks absolutely terrible. I bet his agents know the Dinwiddie extension. That's going to be sitting there all year long. And that'll be there as an option. If, if they want to do that, that's, you know, that can always probably be something where, Hey, let's go into that, that direction. Right. And I, I agree. I thought, you know, if the Knicks weren't going to take the, um, the approach of, if they weren't going to keep the, the powder cake dry in order to go after free agents that, it makes sense to have his cap hold on the books and, and go from there. But since they've spent all this money and they project to be over the salary cap anyway, might as well pay Mitchell Robinson. They didn't. I I did notice, and I'm um, I'm curious. His cap hold. I, I thought it would have been 1.7 million, but it's now 190 percent of of this year's salary. 
Uh, for next season? Yeah, I, again, it doesn't really have a huge yeah, effect because the Knicks are going to be over the cap. Because he's coming off a minimum. Right. This this offseason that just wrapped up, it would have been the the it would have been the qualifying offer amount, so it would have been two million something. Mm-hmm. Um, right, because he was he just finished his third year, right? Yes. Yeah. So these guys on these these minimum contracts, it gets a little wonky because what ends up ultimately happening is it's the greater of their qualifying offer amount or their the minimum salary amount plus two hundred k or their um. Yeah, no, it's just those two um, for them. So in most cases, those third year guys, it becomes the it's like 2000 and change mm-hmm. um, is what it would have been. Now, next off season, it'll revert back to the veteran minimum amount because he's coming off a minimum contract. So anytime a player's coming off a minimum contract into unrestricted free agency, it's always going to be the minimum salary. Perfect. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Sure. Um, could you talk a little bit about base year compensation in this in the sense of let's say Mitchell Robinson gets to free agency um, and the Knicks do you know they're they're able to make something work with Bradley Beal and they want to do sort of a, a double sign and trade in this sense mm-hmm. which is rare but you know let's play along. Can you just go over how it wouldn't be like the Wizards are giving a ridiculous amount to <laughs> Mitch sure. and why there are rules in place? Yeah, so let's let's just say, let's say they agree he's twenty million dollars because I, I it's it's getting late and I like simple math. <laughs> um, so let's say they say twenty million dollars is a salary. Well, when a player gets a big enough raise in a, in a new contract, it triggers base year compensation or what quite often now gets referred to as the poison pill. Um, people will say. And basically what that does is that means the player counts for different amounts on both sides of the trade. So in that case, 20 million, um, what happens is when the raise is big enough, the player counts for half of his new salary or his prior year's salary, whichever is greater. In this case, 20 million, clearly 10 million is greater than his minimum salary this year. So he would account for 10 million on the um, outgoing side of the trade for the Knicks. Then on the incoming side, um, on the wizard side, he'd count for the 20. He would still be 20 on on their end. So what that does is it makes it hard to trade those guys unless you are dealing with a team that has cap space or there's exceptions involved or something like that, because clearly 20 and 10 are not an equal salary match. And it's not as simple as we'll add seven more and we're there because now you've made it 27 on the other side and you're only at 17. So it just gets very tricky to pull those off. And why that's in there is in general, the players association, you don't want players being signed to extensions and then immediately turned around and traded. Now, I think there is a chance when we get into a new CBA on sign and trade transactions, that is, it's eliminated in those transactions only. Because in this case, you could potentially be penalizing both the team and the player because you could have a situation where it's, you know, it's just too hard for us to make a trade work for Mitchell Robinson because of the base year compensation piece of it. I think when it's a, Luka Doncic has signed his new contract extension. If the Mavs lose their minds and they're like, eh, this guy's not so good, let's trade him. Um, 
that's where you do want it in there because that's now a pending contract extension hasn't even started yet. And you're like, Hey, we changed our mind. We really don't think you're very good. We want to move you. That is one where it gets kind of messy when in those situations. So I think what happens is um, in a sign and trade, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets tweaked or changed somewhat um, because we're starting to see sign and trades are becoming more common again. They're becoming more common with, uh, low salary players making more money and moving on and those kind of things. So, so, but yeah, that, that way it would make it very difficult if he's making any kind of significant money to, to trade, to just have him be a, uh, a prime piece of salary matching in a trade. Absolutely. So I feel like that's a, a great little uh, bow to put on the Mitchell Robinson discussion, but thank you for, for clearing that <laughs> sure. up. A um, few more questions and then yeah. um, we'll get you out of here. In terms of RJ Barrett, I know there's still another season before he's eligible for a new contract, but based on where he's going and maybe his history kind of shows, do you think that RJ Barrett, maybe is a, I guess it's a loaded question, do you think he will generate a max contract? Uh, right now, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he has shown enough to, to get there. Now, if he takes a... Um, a Jason Tatum type of leap or something like that, where Tatum went from year two being pretty good to year three being really, really good. If he can do that, then maybe that, that really starts to change things. And I don't know that that's impossible for, for RJ to, to take that kind of leap is I, I think people got down on him as a rookie and then never checked in really last year. And I think, he got kind of lost in the shuffle of Julius Randle has been awesome. Uh, just the team is good. Then it was, they got Derrick Rose and all those things. And I think a lot of people might've missed RJ Barrett had a really nice season. Shot 40% from three. I bet if you ask your average person, I, would, I bet there's even Knicks fans that don't know he shot that well from three. Um, 17 points per game. I want to say what was around five, six rebounds, probably right around three, four assists per game. Somewhere in those ranges. I'm probably maybe a little bit off on those, but I think I'm pretty close. Um, and you started to see the all around game that was hyped up for why there was a point in time where he should maybe be the number one pick in the draft, right? We all kind of thought that until it was like, what is this Zion guy? Like, what is this guy? Um, and then John Morant, obviously, you know, burst onto the scene as well. Um, now, I will say this, admittedly, um, where R.J. Barrett went to high school, Montverde Academy is literally 15 minutes from my house here in Florida. So I am, um, I get attached to those Montverde kids because I see them on a somewhat regular basis. But that said, he is really good. And it's not a huge stretch to say, could he be a 27 and five guy next year? Sure. It's within range. Get a couple more shots, finish at the rim a little bit better. Uh, driving kick to shooters <laughs> that can actually make shots that can help there. Um, you know, a couple less rebounds get gobbled up by Randall and he gets them instead. And now, now, now you're there. If he becomes that, it's weird because that becomes a very good problem for the Knicks to have of, or what do we do now? Now where we have with, with this, um, my guess, my, I bet if, if you could get them to take some truth serum and be honest, 
they'd love to sign him right now for like 20 million a year. If they could, you know, fast forward and do it, do it today and say, Hey, how's 20 million sound and have him say, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's go. But yeah, if he has a huge year, a max extension doesn't become crazy. And if we were having this conversation a year ago, I'd be like, what are you talking about? No, wouldn't have asked. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not, no, like, I mean, maybe he becomes an okay player, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I've, it's, as I've been kind of doing the rounds on season previews and those kind of things, the Knicks are obviously a pretty big topic of discussion because they did improve. And I, and it's funny because everybody wants to talk Kemba and Fournier and Randall's extension and Rose and Noel and all that stuff. And I'm like, don't forget the kid, man. He's pretty good. I, I think people are missing out. And, and it might be one, too, where he actually is a better player, but his numbers fall just because they've got other better players around him, too. Uh, he might not average, you know, 27 and 5. Might not be good, but if you do some advanced modeling and look at the way he plays, you could translate it into RAF. We didn't have Fournier doing some stuff as a facilitator. Kemba here, uh, Rose for a full season. Yeah, maybe would have got to 27 and five, and that's where we go. But yeah, I'm, I'm super high on RJ Barrett, but a max today, probably not down the line. Maybe. But let, let's see how the season goes. And that's a good thing, right? That's why we're, we're glad we've got one more year. Exactly. And I think over 75% of his minutes played in the NBA have been alongside Alfred Payton as well. <laughs> yeah. um, so not having well, in his rookie Payton. year with maybe the most messy lineup constructions we've seen yep. of, you know, two bigs that, that day, it was like watching the Ewing Oakley Knicks as far as the spacing went at times. I, I, I said before the year, I'm like, just having lineups that make a little more sense like this kid's gonna take off and that was you know i was i was excited for that but yeah i'm, I'm with you i get just yeah playing with kemba versus uh elford payton that's already you know there's a win because <laughs> it's not a you're not driving a kid and this is uh i've seen an awful lot of elford payton <laughs> so now yes. now i do believe Whatever magic the Suns work with point guards, I wouldn't be surprised if this this new group there, Monty Williams, gets Peyton to maybe play at the level of all right, Alfred Peyton could be a quality backup, you know, where he can be your second guy now. But the days of him holding down a starting role for I almost said 82 games. I know what was it, 72 games last year and I mean, I, I was daily having, I'm not, I don't even cover the team and I was getting next fans. Like, can you please, for the love of God, tell Tibbs to stop starting him? I'm like, I don't talk to him, but I mean, sure. If I run into him, yeah, I'll, I'll mention it. I mean, you couldn't have told Clifford who then could relate. Yeah, right, I know body. I could have. Yeah. Oh, and I'll tell on. you, man, living here, Orlando fans feel, feel a certain way about elf because he, uh, he became known here as the, uh, Oh, cool. Elf piled up a bunch of triple doubles in April when the team was, trying to win their 20th game. That's great. You know, just enough to get everybody all excited for next year. <laughs> I, I think the magic have risen in my NBA fan list <laughs> just for that reason. Like, they understand the pain. Um, so Keith, I want to actually share my screen and, and show this handy chart it may look familiar to you. Yeah, uh, that does. Um, spot track. So yeah. if you're watching, you can kind of see where the Knicks are in general. Um, but basically, my question here is, it, based on the club options for Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel, it seems the latest the Knicks could really make a bigger move is the 2024 trade deadline day. But what I'm curious about, and you know, they, they could always do other things as well. But, sure. Um, what I, I guess what I'm curious about is, in your opinion, 
what is kind of the the last best time for the not and it could be the last time period but the last best time for the Knicks to really make that star trade also when you incorporate you know they have a plethora or I guess a surplus maybe uh, is a better way of phrasing it of picks in 2023 maybe in 2024 depending on that Hornets pick mm-hmm. um is it the 2023 offseason, 2023 deadline, um, 2022 off? I mean, when when do you think is that last best time? Yeah, I think so. What they're going to be running into in that 2023 offseason is that's when Barrett is, is he, he'll either be his extension will be kicking in or he'll be carrying a pretty heavy cap hold just because the way the rookie scale cap holds work um, under no circumstances. Do I think he will be bad enough that they will just wipe him off the books? I, I really can't envision and envision any way that that happens. But again, what they did was they protected themselves with, then it'll be Barrett Randall and Fournier. And then let's see where we're at with Obi top and Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grant, you know, those guys are, and those numbers are so small. You can always move them if you needed to, to do something. So I think what, what it is now, boy, what's, I feel like, didn't you guys tell me if I'm completely wrong? Cause you certainly know better than I do. I feel like Knicks fans have spent a couple years um, playing the cap space game of we're going to have cap space and we're going to do this and do that. And then I think there was initial, like, what the heck did we do last year? And then it was, Hey, actually, you know what? This wasn't bad. We were patient. We didn't blow it on a bunch of stupid free agent signings that are going to be bad in a year. And people came around and then of course the team ended up good and everybody was happy. But now what you're going to do is take cap space out of your, your lexicon for a couple of years because they read it and said, there's nobody worth sitting on 40 million in cap space for next off season. And if we can get Bradley Beal or Zach Levine or whoever, we can get them via sign and trade anyway. And we'll, we'll do, do it that way. So I think as far as last best is probably 2023, because assuming Barrett develops the way you want him to, that's your going to be your last chance to go do something before the team starts to get a little too expensive. Cause then you're going to have him and Randall for a couple of years, maybe Fournier still there. It's Rose will probably imagine be aged out by that point. And you'll probably have moved on, but you'll be in a position where it's going to be, all right, where, where are we going? But we've now we've kind of got the two big salaries and Randall and Barrett. And then, well, what are we doing from there? And it's even as the cap goes up in those years, it does become a, a uh, how do I put it? It becomes a tricky spot because it's not going to go up more than theirs are going to go up because it's not going to go up 8% per year. Now, in the couple of years after that, as the TV contract kicks in and the new CBA kicks in, we'll see what that looks like. My, my gut tells me and in conversations, Everybody realized, hey, we rejected the cap smoothing idea, and that resulted in Timofey Moskov getting $17 million a year. And then I didn't get as much the next year because he was now in the second year at $18 million. I think everybody realized, like, yeah, we should probably smooth this out a little bit as long as we make sure everybody gets it in the end. But, yeah, that's where I think it starts to become let's be smart about the way we move this forward because go. But what they're in position to do is really – Last, I'm not as worried about. I'm more concerned with, are you in position today until that point? And they are. They're 100% in position to say, let's go trade for Damian Lillard. If 
Damian Lillard ever says he wants a trade. Let's go trade for Bradley Beal. Uh, oh, Car Anthony Towns is available and he's a Kentucky guy. Let's go trade for him because apparently that's what we do. We get Kentucky kids. Um, so let's let's push. Um, but that that's the thing, right? Where they're they're now in a position to go do things that they might not have been otherwise had they not have been as, as smart as they were about the way they structured the books. Absolutely. And I appreciate you mentioning Timofey Mozgov for 2016 <laughs> and not uh, Joakim Noah. So thank you. That was, well, uh, I have a uh, complicated history with the Joakim Noah one because yeah, the, the most awful thing anybody has ever said to me um, on social media was when I said, I don't like that signing. I think, and I, and I actually, what I wrote, I was writing for Real GM at the time. And I actually wrote, I said, this one screams like it might end in a wave and stretch before it's over. And uh, I had a Knicks fan say not very nice things um, uh, about, about that one. And it's funny because I did the, the tweet as long as I imagine his account, his account was probably deleted um, or taken away from him or suspended. But I wish I could find it because I, I would be like, oh, look, there's still six million sitting on the books because it was a wave and stretch. So, yeah, that one was not a... Uh, that, that one, yeah. Him, Lou Aldang, that's the, uh, I don't know, a gift that keeps on giving is not the right word. It's not really a gift, but uh, the, the sad reminder of, you know, still sitting there, I guess. There's an end in sight. And on behalf of Knicks fans, I apologize <laughs> for that person's contact. No, it's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've heard uh, th- that one was particularly, <laughs> it's it's funny in retrospect, but at the time I was like, oof. And I, I wasn't uh I didn't have the following I have now then. So I, I kind of saw everything at that point. And I was like, Oh, this guy, uh, I, I hope we don't ever actually meet in person. Cause I might be in trouble. <laughs> um, you'd mentioned the cap spike. I was going to ask, yeah. is there a year in particular? Is it, uh, actually, I don't really know what year might it be when it, it, goes or at least in this case yeah i'm speaking off the cuff here i think it's the 2024 off season is the first year that we would know the tv contract is kicking in the new one um i I think it may be the year after that i i I may have my timing off slightly and we will have a new cba before then um we know that uh the hope is it will go like the last one did where both sides realize like hey we're doing pretty good here let's not you know it's tweaks versus a massive overhaul. I think they did well to work together to get through the two COVID impacted seasons uh, as best as really anybody could. And I think um, that is now we're seeing that in the fact that the cap is going up uh, next year and those kind of things and that, and the, the 3% build in and those kind of things are, are all there. So I think that is all good stuff um, that says we're, we're probably not headed towards a, yeah, there will be a stoppage just because that's just the way these things work is one side opts out and then the other side locks them out or whatever they do. But I don't think it's going to be anything protracted unless one side or the other gets extremely silly about what they want, knowing that TV contract is sitting. But the expectation most have around the league is we're going to see a mass influx in most people are stopping short of saying a cap spike just because, again, the expectation is we learned some lessons on all sides last time, and that's probably not the way to handle it. We probably want to make sure we do this, even if that is we artificially inflate two years, two and three, the cap goes up more, but that just keeps more money available for everybody versus uh, this one certain summer. But that said, once we know for certain when that's coming, 
you're going to start seeing some guys probably they might do a cut a year off a contract and those kind of things with the idea of, Hey, I want to be a free agent again when that comes just because I want to be set up. Yeah. And I think the smoothing definitely makes sense as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, it got sold as this is good for the owners and some of the ways they proposed the smoothing was the players never would have seen that money. And it is a little hard because if I'm a guy who's in year 14 of my career, I don't care what happens three years from now. I want my money today. So yeah, if I can get, you know, seven, 8 million this year and, you know, uh, I don't care that it's, you know, cause I don't care what happens three years from now because I'm not playing anymore. You know, I don't care that you're sitting on the Moskov contract or the Noah buyout or uh, wave and stretch. So yeah, that's, it, it's going to be, it, it'll be fascinating to see. I'm trying to not overly focus on it just because it's, it's a little further out than um, where I want to live with these things, but you are seeing teams already start to, you might see, Luca Tatum, Trey Young, those are no brainers. You lock those guys in as long as you can and off you go. Um, but you will see over the next couple of years, it might be those mid tier guy, those mid career guys. It might be like, Hey, you want to do a three plus one versus not necessarily a four, or you might see teams say, Hey, let's do a full five year because it's not going to matter in year five anyway. Cause well, the cap's going to go way up and it'll be fine to have you at, you know, 50 million. I mean, by that point too, I mean, we're basically there now with Steph with guys making $60 million a year. And we're starting to see a handful more guys get into that eligibility range. So that's where we're headed is, you know, these $60 million a year kind of contracts. Yeah. Just crazy, but good for them. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think of when I first really started doing this, I just looked it up the other day. I wonder if I still... I have a tendency not always to close all my tabs. Um, so I may still have it up, but I was looking back at one of the first years I sat down and started really plotting out um, cap space. And I want to say, um, at least on a public level, yeah, it was the 2012 um, off season. The cap was 58 million that year. And that was the third straight year where they had locked the cap in at the same number at 58 million. And now this year it's 112. So it basically almost doubled. It's 119 projected in 2022. So in less than 10 years, really a 10 year span, the cap has, has more than doubled. Yeah. Just absolutely nuts. Especially yeah. when you look at other leagues like hockey, where some of the best players are earning less than Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, yeah. But that's it. Uh, and then last- I always say on the flip side, uh, it's less common now that they've changed the rules, but in major league baseball, you'd have a left-handed reliever who, who was really used to get one out a game, making $9 million a year. Yeah. And I was like, you know, where, you know, I mean, they all, they all have their things, I guess, is the the way to look at it. It's a, you know, they, and then football, you always feel a little bit bad because it feels like those guys, uh contract is a, if, <laughs> I know it isn't this way, but it feels like for so many of them, it works a almost guaranteed game by game basis. Sometimes it feels like, cause it's like, oh yeah, they can cut him because that's all funny money at the end anyway, that he's never going to get. It's like, what you know and that that's that's what that is there's just an aside that is one of my goals i want to understand the uh nfl cap better and that's um, why i'm happy to be at spot track because those guys uh know that cold so i can uh, start learning that too yeah it feels kind of impossible to me like the chiefs didn't have any money and then all of a sudden they had tons yeah. of money and i i yeah. just yeah yeah um last thing i just assume before. it's all legal <laughs> I, exactly so last thing, Keith, before we let you go, and, and thank you so much for your time, uh, can you just 
quickly walk us through how uh, you saved the NBA season last year or 2019, 2020. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, the, I'll start with, I, I, I didn't. Um, so let's, let's start there. Um, but yeah, I, so prior to February of 2020, um, so a year and a half ago, I were, I worked for Disney. Um, I, all my MBA stuff was a part-time side hustle, um, really turned a hobby into some extra money in as things had gone along. Um, I was doing more and more with the MBA and it really, it started to turn into, I like I had two full-time jobs. Um, I'm an East coast guy. I'm in, I'm in Orlando regularly in season. I was up to one in the morning watching, covering games. And then I was up between 5.30 and 6 to go to my full-time job uh, with the Walt Disney Company. So uh, with Disney, I'd worked there for nearly 20 years. Um, I started as an intern with Disney, um, did uh, a lot of different stuff. Most of my career was spent in um, what, what, call, what are called their backstage roles, so like office um, jobs um, there, both uh, at Walt Disney World here in Florida and in um uh, Disneyland in California. I was out there for a year and a half. Um, as a kid who grew up in Massachusetts, I um, lived out there in the middle of Lakerland. Um, I was out there the summer that they uh, Celtics traded for Kevin Garnett. Um, so that was a pretty cool because if you remember, the Lakers fans are all convinced that they were getting KG. Um, and, and looking at you, Jeremy, you're probably like six when that happened. So I now I feel a little older, but but fair <laughs> enough. It's close. So I, uh, it's, it's yeah, um, it's older than that, Andrew. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I um so yeah. So I'd worked for Disney forever. So when the season shut down, we heard initially right two weeks just like everything else in the world there's gonna be two weeks and here we are you know two years later we're still dealing with some of this nonsense but it was um it was all right two weeks it'll be back i kind of actually said you know what it's a chance to breathe a little bit before the playoffs this will be great you know i'll catch up on some stuff i actually planned all i'm going to do all this off-season prep work that i try to cram in during the playoffs this will be awesome um then it was very clearly this isn't going to be two weeks. And that's when we started hearing like, all right, well, how do we bring, how do we finish the NBA season? We started hearing things like, oh, you know, they should go to a private island and you know, build a cord and they should play on cruise ships. And I was like, the, who, have these people ever been on a cruise? Like, there's not, no, you can't play basketball games on a cruise ship. Like even the big ships have like a half cord on the top deck. And it's like, do they, you know, it's like trying to chew while I'm standing on a waterbed. Like, what are we doing? Um, and then we started hearing the more reasonable things like Las Vegas and those kind of things. And I, having been to Vegas several times in the summer league, um, it's a great setup, but it's a, it's a real city. Like, you, like, I don't know how you would shut it down and keep people from getting to where they want to be because where all the hotels are. I mean, it's not a lot. I mean, it's a 10 minute car ride, but it's still like, how are you going to keep people apart from there? So I was like, you know, Disney has a wide world of sports complex. It's just sitting there empty. They've got three massive gyms there that they can do whatever they need to do. Um, all the hotels are empty because at that time there was that Disney was completely closed. Parks were closed and everything. And I was like, and the big thing is it's private property and I don't, this will really, I think, resonate with with uh, your audience here is, well, Disney World is twice the size of Manhattan. 
So I don't know how many people fully realize how big the property is. I, For example, I live on the extreme end, one end of the property. To get to where the sports complex is from where I live, it's about 20 minutes in the car. And that's not, there's no traffic or anything that I'm dealing with. It's straight shop, but it's about 20 minutes in the car to get there. So I don't think people had the grasp of it, its size and it's a private property. So when, when it, so I pitched the, the thought of, Hey, we're seeing all this Las Vegas, all this other goofy stuff. And what about Disney? My editor at the time with Yahoo sports was who I had written that for. Um, he's a big Disney guy knows the property quite well. And he was like, yeah, do it, write it. We'll run it. And I think part of that might've been like, we're content dry. <laughs> we got nothing else going on, but yeah, let's, let's go. Um, so it posted, I'll never forget the date. It was April 16th, 2020, uh, that it posted. Um, that afternoon, we got a note from someone in the NBA that said, thank you for a thoughtful and thorough idea. That was the extent of the, the email. And um, never uh, did not expect it to really go anywhere. And then it really picked up a lot of traction initially. Um, a lot of people were like, really? Like Disney? Like, seems crazy. Like, it's Florida, like there's a billion coronavirus cases. And I was like, and at the time I was like, yeah, but it's more in South Florida than it is up here. Um, also, again, it's private property. You can really restrict who gets into in and out. And then it was about a month later at the beginning to middle of May. Um, I was actually sitting down eating dinner um, with the family and my phone started going crazy. I started getting text messages and then phone calls and all. And I was like, what is happening? And um, I was trying to be a good uh, husband and dad for a change and not play with my phone while we ate. Um, so I picked it up and I was, I was like, I got to see what's going on. Like something must happen. And it was all these people. It was everybody was sending me, um, I believe it was Shams uh, Sharania who had tweeted, um, you know, NBA and discussions to bring back the season and, uh, multiple places, including maybe Walt Disney World and everybody. So, it, so that gave it a whole new life. And then when it was finalized as the single site, roughly three weeks after the initial, um, then it kind of got a third life of its own. So it, it was a, it was a absolutely a once in a lifetime opportunity to bring two things I'm passionate about and have spent a lot of time on together um, in my world. And it was, it was really neat. I actually had a chance to work with a couple different NBA teams um, on, you know, Hey, here's what to expect when you come down here and those kind of things, which was, which was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been here uh, when you're here in the summertime, we get these thunderstorms that roll in and it literally looks like the world's going to end. Uh, Andrew's not, he's good. He, probably been caught in one or two of those. I would maybe running around theme parks or something. Um, we, uh, I had multiple texts the first day teams were in like, what is happening? Like, are we safe? And I was like, yeah, you're fine. Um, if you remember, we had a hurricane at one point looked like it was going to hit the property. Um, so I had a lot of people like, do we need to leave? Do we need to go? And I was like, Disney's actually where everybody goes when there's a hurricane. Cause it's safe and they have their own power plant. They're self-contained. Um, I had a lot of texts about alligators and snakes, which are very prominent here and around the property. So it was, it was really a cool time. Um, you know, and I always say if, if me floating that idea publicly had anything to do with it, um, I'm thrilled to death um, that that's how that played out, but it was just, it was just a cool experience to take 
two the two parts of my life that I never really thought would intersect and put them together in a, in a way that was uh, really kind of cool. And I got to do a lot of reporting at the time because I had a lot of uh, Disney folks who were like, hey, here's what's going on with this. Uh, it, it was weird because I was getting things that I knew no NBA reporter had because they don't have the, you know, Hey, we're switching out the beds at the grand Floridian. Cause we need to get these extra long King beds in there and those kind of things. I knew no NBA guy was going to get that story. So I had a chance to break a little news there and those kind of things. So it, it was a really fun, unique uh, period. And I can honestly truly say, I hope it never, ever, ever has to happen again. <laughs> well, that is a really awesome experience. Um, thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm hopeful that at least, you know, if he hasn't done it already, we're kind of, you know, go to your door and there's a package and it's from LeBron <laughs> thanking you for helping him with his yeah. championship. <laughs> no, I've never, uh, I have had a couple players um, on Zooms. It was not this past season, but the season while they were in the bubble, we'd be like, wait, you're the bubble guy. Like if they recognize the name or whatever. And that was, that was kind of fun, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was funny. Um, but yeah, no, I've had no, no, no one has sent me any gifts or anything like that, nor do they need to. <laughs> Jeremy, can I jump in real quick? So do it. you started this answer with no, I didn't save the NBA and then told that story of you saving the NBA season. <laughs> Did I get that right? The humility is just incredible. Like no, fair, I, but I, I didn't. It, it, no, it was I wrote the idea and then it happened. I, I don't know that that my idea had anything to do with with it. It's uh, you right. know, but- we have to be the ones to gas him up. So from now on, <laughs> yes. we're starting the movement here on the next film school podcast. All right. From I'll now on, it. the end of the 2020 season is the Keith Smith bubble season. There you <laughs> there, go. There That's go. what we're calling it from now on. If TM. nothing else, my mom, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, my mom will appreciate it. There you so, go. That's good. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Keith, thank you so much for taking the time, especially now you got a new puppy. So appreciate oh, yeah. you. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just surprised he hasn't made a, a blast in appearance here at some point. He's gotten pretty good at that on these. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything that um, you'd like to plug while you're here? Spot track. Um, I think we've got the best MBA salary information anywhere that's publicly available um, in the, in the sphere. Um, everything is up up to date as far as it's uh, actually happened and and I'm out there. So we, we've got everything where there's only a handful of deals that only went official in the last couple of days that we're waiting for details on. Um, and then we get those up there. The team there is uh, small but mighty. Uh, they are absolutely incredible. I can't shout those guys out enough. A couple New Yorkers too. So uh, give them love and, and support them there on that end. But they are, uh, yeah, they, it, it's awesome. Um I have some written work up there. And if for any reason anybody wants to read Celtic stuff on a Knicks uh, a fandom, <laughs> if you want to just see how the other side lives, I do a lot of stuff for Celtics blog as well. And then uh, last thing I'll plug is uh, Trevor Lane and myself have our own show on YouTube and a podcast called NBA Front Office Show. So if you like some of the stuff uh, Jeremy was asking me about with contracts and those kind of things. That's what we do on that show all the time. Um, we, we don't do a ton of like game breakdowns and those kind of things. It's all roster transaction based, that sort of stuff. Um, and that, that's what we love. And we love getting into all of that. And we'll be starting our, uh, our version of um, review previews where it's just kind of there. What did they do? What do we think they're going to be uh, this year? Those will be coming out over there. So you can find that on YouTube or on any podcasts under NBA front office show. And you can find Keith on Twitter. If you're not following him already, I highly recommend it. Um, at Keith Smith NBA. 
Big shout out to Keith Smith for coming on today's pod. If you dig this episode, head on over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review on the Next Film School podcast. Jeremy and I will be back on Monday with a brand new Monday episode of the Next Film School podcast. But until next time, enjoy your weekends, everybody. Stay safe out there. If you got beautiful weather where you're listening, go do something fun in a safe and responsible way. Uh, and we'll see you on Monday. Peace out. Peace out.